find Exodus 20 in your copy of the Scripture. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Looking this morning at the third commandment, that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. As you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I also want to ask you to... um, Take out the insert in your worship folder this morning on the Gate Pregnancy Center. Uh, Most churches across America, either this Sunday or next Sunday, some do it the third Sunday, some the last Sunday of the month, uh, churches observe uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And one of the ways that we are involved in that with, as a church is we have many of our folks in the congregation that serve at one of the gate pregnancy centers. There's actually two locations now, one in Concord and, and the original one in Harrisburg. And this is one of the ways you can be involved in a weekly mission activity. Sometimes our folks... I want to be involved in local opportunities. Of course, the Good News Schools, the Good News Club in the schools is one of the ways you can be involved on a weekly basis. The Gate Pregnancy Center is another way. But we encourage you to, uh, to be involved in that, whether it's through volunteering or giving. Uh, Call Mary Fain over at the Gate Pregnancy Center or see Karen Smith in our church and these ladies can help you get plugged in and it's, it's a very viable way that we can stand for life uh, instead of young ladies being referred for abortions. They counsel them to keep their babies and if they can't keep their babies themselves to adopt their babies out. And there's men involved with GATE. Uh, So men, there's a role for you as well. So please look over that insert and um, give some attention to that if that's something you feel the Lord prompting you to do. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? And we're going to back up to verse 24 of chapter 19. And we'll begin reading there. And this morning I'm only going to read down through verse 7. Okay? Verse 24 of chapter 19. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep his commandments. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Father, we know that holy is your name. That your name represents you. And no one likes to have their name slandered or used falsely. Lord, how much worse when we slander the name of the holy God of the universe. Lord, help us to worship you through knowing more about your name and what you have revealed to us through your name. In fact, your many names that you reveal in the Old Testament. Lord, help us to live in worship and respect and submission and even in all of your name. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. According to a story in the little devotional entitled, Our Daily Bread, there's a story there about some cranes, some birds that live in the mountains, the Taurus Mountains of southern Turkey. These birds cackle a lot, especially when they're flying. All of that cackling gets the attention of eagles who swoop swoop in and seize them for a tasty meal. Well, the more experienced cranes avoid this threat by picking up stones that are large enough to fill their mouths preventing them from being able to make these cackling sounds while they're flying. Perhaps there's an application in that for many of us. It would be better if some people plugged their mouths because of what comes out. (laughs) One of the most beautiful gifts that God has given to mankind is speech. Through speech... Man is able to express his thoughts and his feelings. He's able to carry on complex conversations. He's able to sing praises to his God and to pray to God in the name of the Lord Jesus. A wonderful gift. This is a gift given to man that distinguishes him from all of the animal kingdom. But folks, speech is something that you and I have to be very careful with. I want you to listen to what James says about our speech. In James chapter 3, James writes these words. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. Listen to what James goes on to say about the tongue. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell itself. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The danger of the tongue. But folks, how much sadder is it still when men use their tongues to curse God or to use God's name in vain? In the model prayer there in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God's name is to be hallowed. That is, it is to be seen as holy and something that is to be highly praised and esteemed. And that's what we learn from the third commandment. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the importance of a name. The importance of a name. You know, parents today agonize over what to name their new baby. You probably went through this. If you have children, when your children were born, you agonized what to name that little boy or that little girl. I think of a couple in our church Uh, quite a number of years ago when their son was born and they told me what his name was Uh, his first name of course he was named after his daddy and they told me his middle name and I said is that a family name too and they said oh no Uh, that's not a that's not a family name we had to come up with the name see his mother was a school teacher And they said every name that we could think of, every family name that we could think of that would go with his first name we'd given him, the mother would say, no way. I had a little boy in one of my classes by that name. (laughs) Names mean a great deal to us. What's one thing we tell our kids? Remember who you are. In other words, don't ruin your name. Now, folks, in Bible times, parents reflected a lot on the name of their child. What they named their child had something to say about what they wanted that child to become. You see, a name was that important. It wasn't just simply something you had, but it said something about who your parents uh, thought you would become. Names were symbolic of the character of the person. 
I think of the book of Genesis when Benjamin was born. His mother died in labor. And she named him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. But his dad didn't want that name hung on that little boy. And so Jacob changed his name to Benjamin instead, which means the son of my right hand. Likewise, you'll remember that God had changed the name of Jacob. Jacob meant heel grabber or deceiver. And certainly we see that in Jacob's character. He was a deceiver in many ways. But he had that encounter with God and God changed his life. And when God changed his life, God changed his name. He was no longer just Jacob. But God named him Israel. A prince with God. You see how significant names were in the Old Testament? Names meant a great deal. And folks, also I want you to remember something. To be able to name something meant that you exercised a certain amount of authority or power over whatever you named. For example, when God created Adam and Eve, you remember, right? according to Genesis 2, right before God created Eve... God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would name them because Adam and Eve were to have dominion. They were to have authority over everything in creation. And so because they were to have authority or dominion over creation, Adam was given the power to name things. And so to name meant you had authority over it. Well, the unique thing about God's name is that we don't tell God who He is. He tells us. He tells us who He is. We don't tell Him who He is. He tells us. And so in Scripture, God reveals for us what His name would be. Because God is the one who has sovereign authority over us. God has dominion over us and all that is. And so God reveals His name. Well, from the names of God we learn a number of things. First of all, we see that God's names reveal His character. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Psalm 111.9 says, Holy and awesome is His name. So the name of the Lord is profoundly sacred. And the name of the Lord said something about who God is. He's holy and awesome. He's majestic in his character. In fact, according to some sources, when the scribes would be copying the Old Testament, meticulously copying the Old Testament manuscripts... And they would come across the sacred name for God, Yahweh. They would put their pen down or their quill down and they would go take a bath, change clothes, and they would either wipe the quill clean or they would take up a new quill and then and only then would they proceed to write the holy name of the Lord. That's how sacred God's name was. 
Name and character is not separate from each other. Names and character go together, and that's what God is revealing about His names. God's names also reveal His nature and His identity and His activity. God's name reveals something about who He is and what He does. You see, in Hebrew thought, the name stood for the person's identity. The name was inseparable from the person. Now there's a literary term that explains this. I won't tell you what that term is. It's one of those 50 cent words, one of those long four syllable words. But but there's a name given to that which refers to the fact that a part stands for the whole. The part stands for the whole. In other words, God's name stands for God. We do the same type thing. We'll, we'll say, you know, in church today, uh, there were a lot of faces that I didn't know. Are we saying that people took their face off and sent it to church and they somehow or another stayed home? Don't get any ideas there. No, when we say there's a lot of faces I didn't recognize, what are we saying? There's a lot of people that I don't know. A part that stands for the whole. Well, in the same manner, God's name stood for God. Who God is in his being. And then in the Old Testament, there were different names given of God. And each different name said something about God's actions. Yahweh, I mentioned Yahweh a moment ago. Yahweh was the covenant-keeping name for God. The God who was and is and always will be and who enters into covenant with his people. There was Elohim. The Lord God Almighty, the Creator God, who is awesome and and powerful over all things. And then in Genesis 22, the name of God is given Jehovah Jireh. When Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac and God said, stop, don't do it. And there was a ram in the thicket. Remember the new name that was given to God? Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. Another name was Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord heals. Jehovah Roy. The Lord is my shepherd. So see all these different names of God in the Bible reveal something about not only his identity but also his actions. The way he works in the lives of his people. And then finally, in a complete way, God gave the ultimate revelation of himself through a name. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Yeshua. Yahweh saves. It's the name that is above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. All of this tells us 
that we are to use God's name correctly and in worship and in reverence. God's name is to be praised, it's to be honored, it's to be blessed, it's to be celebrated, it's to be high and lifted up and exalted. We are to worship God and we are to adore Him. Well, secondly, I want you to see the misuse of God's name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, literally, that command means you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God in vain or for nothingness. Don't lift it up in vain or for nothingness. There's a rich host of meanings there. We're not to use God's name frivolously. We're not to use it in vain. We're not to use it any, in any kind of empty or shallow way. We're not to be careless with God's name. We're not to be thoughtless in our use of God's name. Why? Because his name is sacred. It's not common. Now let's try to break this down a little bit about ways people misuse God's name. Some of these will be obvious, but some you've probably not given much thought to. In my studies this week, when I was reading various commentators and writers, I thought, you know, most most people haven't even given thought to some of these, but it's true. You know, I hadn't stopped to consider some of these. And, And as we go through this list, I want you to remember... Using the Lord's name in vain includes being thoughtless with it, being careless with it, being common or frivolous. All of those meanings fall under what it means to use his name in vain. Now what's the obvious one that comes to everybody's mind? God's name is not to be used in profanity or to use an exclamation point. This is the one most people think of. People who do this don't realize, as Dr. Philip Riken of Wheaton College writes, he says they're calling down God's damnation on their heads because God says here that he will not hold the person guiltless who uses his name in vain. They will not go unpunished. We normally think of profanity, but as commentators point out, it's more than that. People use it as an exclamation point. Something happens and the person yells out, Jesus or Jesus Christ. That's using the Lord's name in vain. Or somebody says, good Lord. Again, that's using it just carelessly as an exclamation point. There's all kinds of expressions where people are tagging on the Lord's name, a slang expression maybe. Such uses are all the same. They are using the Lord's name in vain. And he says here, the Lord will not hold you guiltless. A second way, oaths given to increase value. This one's a little bit more nuanced. Let me explain. There were occasions in the Old Testament where oaths could be given in the name of the Lord and it was not blasphemous or sinful or vain. 
Even today in courtrooms, people will place a hand on the Bible, raise the other hand, and they'll swear to tell the truth. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. What was not forbidden was swearing, but what was forbidden was swearing falsely. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23, he said, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain, if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And so again, swearing was not to be done falsely, giving an air of honesty to what you were saying when you didn't intend to be honest at all or you just wanted to appear to be such. To do that would be to use the Lord's name in vain. Also, the emphasis was, was not only on being truthful, but if you vowed a vow to the Lord in the name of the Lord, you were to make sure that you followed through with that vow. If you didn't follow through with it, you would be guilty. And so again, in the Old Testament, the emphasis seems to be that if you do give an oath in the name of the Lord, be honest with it and make haste to carry out whatever you've promised. But then we come over into the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus pointed out for his followers, we don't need to do any of the above. We're to be honest with people. Remember what he said there? Let your yes be yes. And your no, no. We are to be such, such high people of integrity that everybody will know that we're a person of integrity. That we won't even try to need to add the Lord's name to whatever we're promising to, to add additional punch to it because everybody knows because we've said it, we're going to do it. Because again, that's just the kind of person of integrity that we are. James says the same thing in James chapter 5. Now, you'll find dedicated Christians all over the map on this one. Even some very conservative evangelical scholars on both sides when it comes to the application of this in civil courts of law before civil authorities there are some of those voices who would say scenarios that Jesus gave and James uh, gave about not even vowing that those don't even have the, the courtroom as the main thought in mind. They would suggest what the New Testament is instead condemning as those who in the normal course of their everyday lives just throw around oaths and vows in frivolous ways. Somebody talking to their friends, for instance, and the friend questions them about something. And they say, I swear to God that I'm telling you the truth. I swear to God that that's what's happened. Others do believe it includes the courtroom. And a Christian should ask the judge for a religious exemption. Exemption. I know a seminary staff right now that the scholars on that seminary staff are divided over whether or not 
Jesus' words there applied to the civil courtroom or not. Now, regardless of what people say about the application in the courtroom, everybody agrees that what the Scripture is condemning is using it flippantly. Mom and Dad, I swear to God that we went to Cracker Barrel after the football game. I'm telling you the truth. That would be using the Lord's name in vain. A situation like that would be a frivolous thing and to attach God's name to it as an exclamation point would be misusing his name. Well, still another way to use his name falsely. Oaths in church where the situation or the words are not really taken to heart. That's one I had not thought of much. But if somebody stands before a church in a wedding ceremony or a child dedication service, takes up the name of the Lord in an oath or a vow, but isn't really committed to the situation, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I'm not talking about when years later something happens and the marriage ultimately fails. Rather, what I'm talking about is a man or a woman standing at the altar before God and these witnesses, and maybe the person is not even a religious person. Maybe they're there for the sake of the person they're marrying. And they're just kind of checking the box and getting it up. Yeah, I've got to do this, you know, so the preacher will pronounce his husband and wife. And they say, yeah, whatever I've got to do. And they make a vow there in the name of the Lord. That's using the name of the Lord in vain because it really didn't mean anything to them. And again, the Hebrew means taking God's name up for nothingness or emptiness. Here's another one. Christian symbols either carelessly used or used to advance your personal agenda and gain. There's nothing wrong with a Christian symbol if you're genuine in it. But what about a person who wears a cross around their neck? Maybe they're not a believer at all. They're, let's say they're a pagan and vile entertainer. And they're up on stage and they're using profanity. And I mean, this is not somebody even professes to be a Christian, but they got a big old gold necklace. Means nothing to them. It's just a piece of jewelry that people are wearing nowadays. If you were to ask them about their Christian testimony, they don't even have a testimony. That's using a symbol representing Jesus Christ and yet it means nothing to you. It's empty to you. One of my dearest friends in my former church had a position with BB&T, a very unique position because he had been a building contractor. And yet at the same time, he was... He had a foot in the financial world. He understood both. And so BB&T created a position for him because they said when, when we're putting millions of dollars into a building site, you know, some of our financial guys don't know, don't know much about building. You do. So we want you to go to the site and make sure the contractors, the subs, everybody is using our funding correctly. And so Steve had that job. And he had about five different states that he would travel. Well, he and his wife, Kelly, were building a very nice home 
in Gaston County. And he was the contractor for it, and he used a lot of subs. He subbed out most of it. And he said, Scott, I would try to use a lot of subs that in their ad, they would have a cross or a Bible verse or a Bible or a, a fish. They would have some kind of Christian symbol. I would try to use them. And now let me say up front, there's a lot of people who have that on their business card. And, and they're they're genuine believer and they mean business with the Lord. But what Steve told me, he said, Scott... The contractors who lied to me the most and cheated me the most were the people that would have those symbols on their business card. He was very disappointed. That's using God's name in vain in a way. A symbol that stands for God to advance your own personal agenda. Still another way. A modern day slant on false prophecy. With the complete canon of scripture, 66 books that make up our Bible. We're not still looking for thus saith the Lord in the sense that God is adding another book to his word. Again, we believe in the complete canon of scripture. Obviously, in the Old Testament, when a prophet said, Thus saith the Lord, much of what they would say would, would be recorded scripture. But if they said, Thus saith the Lord, and the Lord had not spoken, they were a false prophet. Well, here's a modern day slant on that. Somebody tells you, The Lord told me, this morning to do such and such and God's not told them that at all or somebody might come to you and say the Lord told me that you're supposed to do such and such the Lord's not spoken to them at all folks that's using the Lord's name in vain they're saying God spoke to me and God's not spoken to them at all. Now, I'm not discounting the inner working of the, the Spirit. Somebody might say, hey, you know what? My wife and I, we've been praying for months about a certain situation. And, and, and we really feel that God is leading us to take that job or that position or sell this house and move here or whatever. I'm not discounting any of that. What I'm discounting is somebody, the, somebody says the Lord told me. Me and the Lord hadn't told them. By the way, let me say to you, if you say the Lord told you to do something, you better do it. You better do it. The last misuse I want to give you, I want to give you one that the Lord himself said in his word is profaning and misusing his name insincere and half-hearted worship he talks about that in Malachi listen to Malachi chapter 1 listen to what he says there beginning in verse 6 a son honors his father and a servant his master if then I'm a father where's my honor and if I'm a master where's my fear says the Lord of hosts to you old priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. 
When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? All that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit And that is that its food may be despised. And you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. He goes on to say, I'm a great king. And my name is to be feared among the nations. The people in Malachi's day who were just careless... In their worship, half-hearted, casual in their worship, offering to God anything, even giving him the leftovers. And you'll notice what Malachi is saying there, the priests were leading the way in this. And what did God say about it? God said, you are profaning my name. They were using the Lord's name in vain, the attitude that they had in worship one commentator said our worship is casual careless and insincere oftentimes and in this we dishonor God's holy name others have called it the trivialization of God making God trivial Well, lastly, this morning, I want you to notice from verse 7, the consequence of using the Lord's name in vain. Look at what he goes on to say. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's powerful words. Guiltless or unpunished literally means that this person shall not be seen by God as being clean or innocent or pure or righteous. And notice that the punishment is unspecified. Grammarians have another one of those 50 cent words, four syllable words for this. Which means that... Less is said, but more is intended. As one commentator said, So when God says that he will not hold us guiltless, what he means is that he will condemn us. We will not be innocent, but guilty and reckoned as unrighteous by Almighty God. Society today says what? Hey, it doesn't matter. We laugh at God's name. We misuse it. 
We use it in profanity. We have all our little slang things to put exclamation point. We, you know, it's what we do as a society. We don't mean anything by it. But God says, I will not hold the person guiltless. It's a case in point where society says one thing and God says the other. Who's right? God, obviously. It's a serious matter. In fact, so serious that in Leviticus chapter 24, and I hang, on, hang on a minute because we're going to talk about remedies in a minute, but in Leviticus 24, a case is given where somebody is using the Lord's name in vain and then also blaspheming the name of the Lord, putting both of those things together. God told the community in, in Old Testament times in Israel that they were to take such a person out and they were to put them to death. The point is, God takes his name seriously. And he expects his people to do the same. I want to remind you in closing of a few things we've been saying. Paul asked the question to the church. Now that we're under grace and not law... He says, so do we simply do away with the law? What was his answer? No. He quite powerfully pointed out that, yes, we're under grace, not law. But he pointed out that the law is what helps us understand our sin. It's a a mirror that we look into and it shows us how far we have come short of God's holy standards. The law is a schoolmaster, he said to the Galatians, leading us to Christ. The law shows us something about the holy character of God. We serve a holy God. And his name is holy. Jesus is the one, though, the only one who has fulfilled the demands of the law. He's the only one. He's the only one who has obeyed the law flawlessly. In fact, in what theologians call active obedience and passive obedience. Active obedience in his earthly life, carrying out all the demands of the law, being tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. Active obedience. And then passive obedience in offering himself up to be condemned and put to death by wicked men and not calling his angels to fight for him. He perfectly obeyed passively. Active obedience, passive obedience. Think of that, folks. The one who did not deserve to die died for you because here's the point. You're a lawbreaker, and I'm a lawbreaker. We've sinned against a holy God. And as such, we should be condemned. If I got what I deserve, I should be condemned. There should be no hope for me. 
if God gave me what I deserve. Aren't you grateful for grace? That God put on Christ the sin of us all. And Christ died for you. You're a lawbreaker. But Christ bore your sin. And he died for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 so that you might now possess God's righteousness. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. Do you need to come to Christ today? Do you need to come to Christ? Trusting him and him alone for your salvation. Christians, I want to ask you, have you become careless in your speech about God? How about all those little slang phrases that you might have started using? Are you guilty of misusing God's name? Do you get angry and use God's name coupled together with profanity? Are you guilty of you misusing his name in worship? Trivializing his name and trivializing worship and lifting up his name in nothingness or in vanity or in emptiness. 1 John 1 9 says, If you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for how we so often take up your name in emptiness, in vanity, in nothingness. Whether in little phrases that we use, in profanity, or just not taking your name seriously in worship. Or attaching your name to something when we want to advance our own agenda. Forgive us. Lord, we pray that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you would wash us clean of all of our sin. And beginning right now here today, each of us would take note more carefully of what we communicate with our words and our actions about your holy name. Yours is the name that is above all names. And may we treat it as such. In Christ's name we pray.